What's going on, y'all? Oh, yeah. It is a new special episode of Bantering the MF and Blue Shirts. I am Joe Fortunato, your wacky zany host. His name is Mike. Mike Murphy. Mike. And it is Tom. Tom Earth. Tom. Joined, as always, by my co-host, F, the killer Macklin. Better than the whale. And I'm also joined by Shayna. How's it going, Shayna? Brady Shea is going to score a goal, or I am actually going to lick a ranger. It's a lot harder to identify an angel, because that's the spiritual world. Oh, if you If you don't know what he looks like, the man has some goddamn major league eyebrows. Pretty long, hanging, floofy thing you put between like, under between your box spring and your mattress, and then it hangs down to the floor. Beth, you know I love you so much, but that story does not have anything in it. They're just like, by the way, the dog is kind of dangerous. Here's, here's your children, <laughs> unsupervised children. Here's some pennies. And I'm going to allow the dog to, to roll. And the dog will roam free. Yeah. That's the luck. Remember to cover your neck and throat if you get knocked down. Like your carotid artery above all else. There's a predator who will have an instinct. Um, yeah. That's a thing of beauty, if I do say so myself. Although it is a little long, we may have to uh, we may have to adjust that. But because we're doing this recorded podcast, we get to do a brand new opening, and that was the opening that I put together last week while I was home from work in like this delirious state. Um, Michael Thomas, how are you two doing today? I am swell. I am grand. How about you, fine gentlemen? Well, you d- you did swell. Tom did grand. I am fantastic. Uh, we all have the badonkadonks. That's good. We're all recording. Welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts. As you heard, um, today is Tuesday, or today is Thursday. I'm way back in the week, which means this is going to go today's live. Today's Wednesday. Oh, today's, today's Wednesday, Wednesday right. Today's Wednesday. Um, which means this is going to go live on Thursday. Today is a weekday. It's a weekday in the, in the last, week. Last a day that week. ends in Y. Last <laughs> week. Day. Somewhere between Monday and Friday, and uh, potentially Saturday, Sunday. It's April. We know that much. But it's not spring. No, it's at least not it doesn't spring. feel like spring. I saw snow yesterday. Briefly. Really? Briefly, but hmm. it went away. Hmm. I just don't want the bugs to come out. Uh, I'm fine. I- I'm tired of snow and rain, but I don't want bugs. Bugs can go well, fuck themselves. I'm tired mean, of bugs. The bugs. The bugs are coming one way or another. Well, I know, I know like they're coming. I mean, this is this is Earth. It's how things work. Nats, the sun mosquitoes. comes out, gets warmer. Spiders, who I hate with a passion. Spiders, uh, I, don't, I, I have a good rule on spiders. When you see them, you, you kill them. But when they're doing their job well, it's when they're killing other bugs and doing it in a clandestine way. You, you don't know they're there. Sure. Fair. I'll allow That's it. a really good point that I've never really considered. Like if a spider, you if a spider is visible, it's not doing anything of importance, or it's no. just sort of hanging out there. And I, yeah. you, know, you just can't be on me or within arm's reach. If you're like up in, you know how some spiders like to go where the ceiling meets the wall, and like that little, like a little crack there, like little seam, I should say, like the eave. Yeah, if they if they're there, it's like oh, I can't even. I'd have to get something to stand on the sweat. You're fine. Just don't dare come down here. Don't crawl no. into my mouth when I'm if, asleep. If I see a spider, it dies. I don't care if I have to get in a goddamn ladder. It dies. 
I'm afraid of spiders. I don't like it. It is what it is. So we've spent far too much time on this podcast talking about spiders already. If we're talking about ruining the podcast. Joe, like do you know what a giant, you know what a, you know what a trapdoor spider is? A trapdoor spider? Is that like a Yu-Gi-Oh monster? No, uh, it is a spider. <laughs> Does it create some type of a floor with like a, a web that's a fake floor that things fall through? Kind of, yeah. It makes a little hatch like a like a sewer, yeah, like not, a manhole. And it pops yeah, out and it grabs you. I'm and not it playing brings this it game. In the hole and it fills you up with venom and this gets is... all his little, his little dangly hands all over you. A little, yeah. All right. You see, now we've gone so off track that I have to bring us back. Let's get the transition music going. There we go. All right, we're back. Um, a shocking amount of things happened between the last podcast and this podcast, which I really was not expecting. Um, th- let's start with what's what the we biggest did last spider week. you've ever seen. Mm, that's a really good question. My sister was in Australia, and she sent me a picture of a huntsman spider that's like oh. the size of your hand. And yeah, I got news for you. If I go into my house and there is a spider the size of my hand in the house, I'm, it is the spider's I'm, house. Yeah, I'm burning down the, the house. Can pay the mortgage. <laughs> that's, that's game over. You can yeah. do everything. He, that's his house now. <laughs> I am no longer a member of that household. He could pay the goddamn bills, put his name on the electric. I don't Sign give a damn. Sign the deed with one of his, yep. you know, long legs. Not for me, no sir. It doesn't even. It could be walking out of the house. The fact that it was in the house at all, out, totally out. Um, have I you told my, out? my spider story, Joe? I feel like I have. Should I, I tell it again? Have. No, I'm just going to oh. say you have because I don't want to hear any more spider stories. No, let's talk about spiders. Let's talk I, about I spiders. don't want to talk about spiders. They scare me. I just told you that. So the Stanley Cup playoffs are ongoing. And, uh, I wasn't even going to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, my God. So I the There are eight teams in each conference, and a spider had eight legs. The Devil's Game is behind me. It was 0-0. Um, two minutes ago, I turn around. It was one one. Now it's two one, Tampa. That's interesting. Um, as I was saying, the last week we did a, a pretty healthy amount of AV chat. And, he weaved um, quite a web. Who? Yeah, he weaved a web. Um, oh, it looks like this goal may be offside. Although I can't. I don't know. Whatever. Don't don't. Um, uh, it's what you're doing is worse than the spider thing because people don't, don't care about the live action game. Talk. But it's happening. It's happening now. JT um, Miller scored a goal for once oh, really? in the playoffs. For yeah, fuck's sake, second huh? goal. I was actually going to talk about JT Miller though because I don't want to spend too much time on AV. We we did that already last week, but um, I I do want to say that Miller made some comments to the post about how him and AV weren't a great fit, and um, this really isn't so much about AV as much as the end of his quote where he said that once the Rangers, you know, announced that they were selling, it just became a really toxic environment. And uh, we, Mike and I talked about this on the Patreon only podcast, but there was no real support from anyone, um, once AV was fired. And the more that we get these questions, the more that we get these answers. And, uh, I mean, Mike, I'll, I'll give you the the mic stand here. Do you think that, were you surprised by what Miller said? Were you surprised that the environment was quote unquote toxic? Because I, I didn't get that sense, but apparently it was. Uh, I think, 
we heard a lot about him being disgruntled, um, particularly a year ago and a little bit early this year with the, the, the kind of moving him around from wing to center when he, you know, it's pretty clear he wants to be a center. And I feel like, you know, that was a, that was probably played a role in it. There's also, of course, the question of, you know, particularly this season of, you know, how much power play time JT was getting, you know, what is limited time in the top six. And he was also one of those guys who, especially remember in the playoffs, he got sent to the fourth line and, I feel like of all, you know, it was easy to kind of focus on Buchnevich and, and his lack of use, but JT was definitely a guy who found himself not getting the opportunities that he kind of deserved because of his ability to just create goals. Um, you know, he his underlying possession numbers were never really, you know, exceptional, but what stood out about him is that with just that even strength, he could score. And I can understand why he might be frustrated with getting a lack of opportunity to kind of step up into a bigger role. And yeah, I don't know. I, I was still a little, honestly, I'm surprised that members of the media go out of their way to ask him about his former coach when he's, you know, in the first round of the playoffs with his new team. But to me, it was it, it's kind of just, you know, there's nothing too much to read into that. We we already knew a little bit. I mean, toxic is a pretty strong word, but uh I didn't consider that too much of a too much of a story just because we know, you know, we know that JT didn't really enjoy being bumped around and didn't didn't necessarily feel like he had a great chance here. Who does? Who did? I also, just to the end of your point, I find it kind of hysterical that the media, who really didn't have a bad thing to say about AV at all in the five years that he was here, or have kind of gone out of their way to get, and I get it that it's part of the job, but like you said, the like you're talking to Miller, who's playing in Tampa in a playoff series. It has nothing to do with the Rangers. He's been gone for a while. Um and you're, you know, I know this is the first time that you've seen him, but what, like, what was the plan? What kind of story are you going to write off of that? It's just, I don't know. It's yeah, this is tonight is his twenty fourth game in Tampa. If you count, you know, playoffs and regular season, I mean, it's he's been there for a good chunk of time now. So yeah, it's I'm sure you know he still I'm sure has you know remnants of his time with the Rangers still fresh in his head and everything, but. That's the he's last thing on, too. Yeah, it's the last thing on his mind. He's trying to win a playoff series. He's trying to help his new team. He's having a lot of fun playing in Tampa. And, you know, it's uh, why I'm not sure what qu- kind of answer you'd get out of him. Of course, they did get a good quote, but I, I don't I don't know. I feel like this is stuff we already kind of already knew. I, I do. I do find it intriguing that it's just kind of another, you know, we can take JT Miller and put him in the bin of young guys who probably didn't get a fair shake under Vigneault. Uh, you know, moving forward as we look to what the next coach is going to be like. And we all kind of have our fingers crossed that uh, the next coach, whoever they are, will do a better job with Miller, players by the way, 18 points in 19 games for Tampa regular season. Um, if he scored the first goal, because Tampa's second goal was disallowed. Uh, Tom, was it the first goal that he scored? It was the first goal he scored, which would be the second playoff goal of his NHL career yeah. uh, in the playoffs of 44 games. 
two points in uh, four games with the Lightning to this point in the playoffs. So uh, I always I always found that stat of his sort of incredible that he was he only had one goal in all of his playoff games. Now, obviously, two. But uh, speaking of the Devils and Tampa Bay. The more listen, the Rangers were going to do what they were going to do regardless in regards to the trades that they made and the way that they approached the season at the end of the year. But um, Michael Grabner is a healthy scratch today for the second straight game. Um, you know, we're looking at Miller stats and how good Miller did. Grabner was a much different story in New Jersey. And I don't know if it's because he's not being utilized properly. I did talk to some Devils fans who said that Grabner is kind of being used as a bottom six player and the Devils kind of got him for depth, but aren't really putting him with speedy players and aren't using him the way that Vigneault did. But Grabner, two goals, three assists, five points in 21 games for the Devils, um, and no points in the two playoff games that he played in to this point. Uh, Tom, how surprised are you that we're talking about a Michael Grabner healthy scratch? I don't think it's all that surprising because – I think anyone that watched the Rangers with great detail kind of understood what Michael Grabner was. And I believe, I don't remember who tweeted it, but it was something to the effect of, well, uh, and the news of him being healthy scratched and it was a breakdown of his goals. It's like, well, kind of this is why explains why he was never on the power play. Grabner for better or for worse was a player who would score goals on a breakaway. He would score goals on a rush or in transition in those sort of odd man chances, or it would be kind of like a broken play and he would sort of just skate out ahead of everyone else and, and score. So his goal scoring drying up, I don't find it all that surprising. I think we all were surprised in year one when he scored 27 goals and we all said, yeah, this was a classic situation of him just sort of finding lightning in a bottle um, because it was the most goals he had scored since his second year in the league, with which was his first with the Islanders at 23 with 34 goals. Then all of a sudden he's scoring goals again this year and – a lot of us are saying, well, it's kind of, I guess it's good that he wasn't picked by Vegas. I guess it's good that we didn't sell high on him at the deadline because now he has more of a body of work. And then Adam put out that that great piece at this point, uh, at some point this year, sort of looking at Grabner and his empty net goals and, and where he sort of fits um, amongst other, other players in the league and sort of just speaking to his opportunistic ability, his defensive nature that coaches sort of want him out there with uh, the goalie pulled because his speed is obviously a factor, his ability to sort of get his stick in the zone, his ability to just sort of uh, force the opposition to do something, make a mistake, and then he'll obviously capitalize on it. Personally, I don't think that he would have been a healthy scratch two days in a or two games in a, a row. I think that they might have wanted to try something different. Maybe you sort of put him on the opposite wing of Taylor Hall just for a game. But I can understand not to just go in, in depth about the Devils that they're not wanting to mess up something that's working. Um, but I think if anything, it'll be interesting to go back on Twitter and look at the reaction to the trade and those that felt that the Rangers sold low on Grabner and they were worried about a potential Nash 
return sort of in the context of here's Grabner only making a buck 65 against the cap versus what uh, Nash was making and the fact that teams would have to sort of dump salary. So to circle around, I think it's not surprising that he hasn't played well because stylistically the Devils are a little different than the Rangers. And I think that in hindsight, this trade was probably one of the best that that Gorton's made. Yeah, stylistically, I think is a is a really good word to use when you're talking about Grabner um, and his fit on the Devils. I also think that a lot of people, and this is you know chapter four thousand on NHL GMs are stupid, in that Michael Grabner. He's not a, a goal scorer in the traditional sense. He's a, a fast break, take your shots, get your offense on odd man rushes and hope that it goes in type of offense. And the Devils are not using him that way. And that's definitely a, a big part of the problem here. Mike, uh, interested on your thoughts on Grabner because you've been banging the drum pretty heavily that this and the the Holden trade, which I guess we'll get to in a minute, have really benefited the Rangers based on the way that the players are being used. Well, yeah, what's what stands out to me about the Grabner trade in particular is if, if you guys remember, it came before the big kind of tidal wave came with the rest of the trades. The Grabner trade kind of opened things up, and uh, you know, it was. I think it's because of that. Tom mentioned that there are some people wondering if the Rangers didn't get enough. And now when you look at what Grabner's done there and, you know, like, like Tom said, you know, he kind of hit the nail on the head of, you know, kind of find myself just reiterating him, but the, it was very clear to us what Grabner was and like the fact that he is valuable. I think that's an important thing here is it's important to state that. Yeah. He Michael Grabner is a very good hockey player, but, He's one of those guys who there's a reason he was never on the power play as a ranger, even with all those goals. It's because that's just not that's not where his offense comes from. His offense doesn't come from having, you know, a particularly great shot or having like a real instinct of where to be in the offensive zone. He's much better at in the transition game and in the defensive zone, anticipating things and using his quickness and his stick to create those those fast breaks and those rushes. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how uh, John Hines has been using him in New Jersey, but it, it is, it's a bummer for the Devils that they, they've been ab- unable to kind of, you know, spark him and, and get the offense that, you know, it's especially against a team like Tampa that they very desperately need. I mean, uh, the maybe the biggest difference between Tampa and, the Devils is that Tampa's offense is just, it just absolutely dwarfs them. And, you know, I know their blue line is also light years better, but not having, you know, a guy with Grabner's potential in your lineup and doing that intentionally speaks a lot about how New Jersey feels, uh, you know, with this trade now and getting the second round pick in this year's draft and Igor Rykov is a pretty damn good return for a guy who, you know, what did it really cost the Rangers to give him up? I mean, I know last year, Joe, you talked a lot about, you know, trade Grabner now. He might be worth a first round pick. And, you know, if you, I think the like the sum of the value of Rykov and a second round pick is greater than just a first round pick in a lot of ways, because it's, it's two, it's, it's two prospects that can become something special. And I, I really feel like the Rangers, it's still way too early to say they won 
the trade or anything like that, but it's it's pretty clear that this is breaking in the right way. Well, the the Rangers won the trade because it's impossible for them to lose a that's, trade yeah, like that's, that. That's you, even if Grabner, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Even if Grabner scored a million goals, the, he was never staying in New York. But I think the point that you're trying to make is a valid one, which is the Rangers got an unbelievable amount of value. I was absolutely convinced they were going to get a first round pick, but sort of under the opinion that they were only going to get a first round pick. I think Rikoff and the uh, and the second round pick, which doesn't get adjusted to how they do in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure that's only the first round pick. So it's going to be a mid round. It's going to be like a 45 to 50 um, selection. You're talking about relatively good value. I mean, that's that's not a low end second round pick. And the Rangers. Are- yeah, you can get an NA. It's very likely you can get an NHL player with that. Especially with the Rangers who are hopefully going to be swinging for the fences. Really, from the first round on, in terms of um, talent and and boomer bust players, because they desperately need it in their farm system. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that this is. Uh, I'm shocked that he's a, a healthy scratch. Genuinely, um, I, I made the comment when we first found out about it. I, I don't watch the Devils enough to know is this a situation of Grabner shooting zero percent and the Devils think he's not doing his job and he's about to shoot 30%, but he's not in the lineup? Or is this the fact that Michael Grabner really isn't working out in New Jersey? And from some of the rational Devils fans who responded to me, it really does sound like it's a little bit more of um, the latter than it is the former. So I I just don't think the Devils were overly prepared for the type of player that he was. I I can't say that it was stat-watching, oh, he's got 25 goals, we need a guy like that. Grabner's a great depth player. Grabner's a kind of guy who can – definitely step up and um, play the defensive game that you want. He's got speed, so he can add that element. He can do penalty kills. He's dangerous on the penalty kill. All of those things matter. But if you're getting him to be your secondary scoring player, I, I, it's a risk, and that's something that the Devils didn't. Yeah, just quickly, Grabner, Grabner had two shots in the two playoff games with the Devils, and in the regular season, he had – 36 shots in 21 games. So, how, how many shots did he have with the Rangers, though? With the Rangers, he had 131 in 59. So, I, I mean, over, it's not an, over two a game is the point. With the it, Devils, it dropped. And the most important thing is the shooting percentage, shooting percentage went from 19.1 to 5.6 in the regular season after the trade. But this is why when people come at us for harping on sustainable hockey, or making like looking at these statistics, if you look at Grabner's stats on the surface before the trade to the Devils, you would assume he has at least five or six goals in him the rest of the way, maybe even yeah, 10 goals feels, in him the rest yeah, of the way. Yeah, it feels like that's what we should have seen, especially in, you know, a 21 game window. You know, even if, you know, a couple empty netters, who knows, help the numbers out. But yeah, it felt like another five goals was well within reason because. He had seventy. He had in seventy six games last year. He had twenty seven, and then in fifty nine games with the Rangers this season, he had he already had twenty five. So it felt like, you know, he was shooting. It like was well on his way to thirty at least. Yeah, it felt like he was kind of at a breakneck pace to get to thirty. It just, uh, you know, that's what happens when you don't look beyond the numbers, though. And unfortunately, that's uh, fortunately for the Rangers, I should say, that's something that 
they were able to get a deal out of. And listen, the Devils can talk until the cows come home about how they didn't know if Rikoff was going to come over from the KHL. And I think that's sort of the reason why the Rangers are making this push for Kovalchuk, which we can transition into after we say a couple of similar words about Holden. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think Gordon did good work here. In, in regards to Holden, and, and we can talk about this briefly too, and Tom, I'll, I'll hand you the mic because it's it's, you know, you haven't spoken in a while, but Holden is another one where you can't lose the trade. You absolutely can't lose the trade. He He's going away anyway. He, he was not a great defenseman. I find it hysterical that the top pair defenseman on the Rangers isn't even in the playoff lineup for the Bruins. But um, I think the Rangers did really well there. And as someone joked, getting Rob O'Gara helped the Rangers get an eighth overall pick. But Mike, or sorry, Mike, uh, not Mike, Tom, say some words on the Holden trade. So I think the Holden trade is another trade that you have to look at and you figure it was mostly about a draft pick and Rob O'Gara was just sort of the the balancing act. Um, they needed a body because that was at the time. I think it was a couple of people it went down or, or someone was in transition or, or whatnot. But in, in Holden's case, he, he went to the Bruins and... And he actually played um, more minutes with them than he was with the Rangers. It was a few seconds more. Um, in the 55 games with New York, three goals, nine assists, 12 points. And then with the Bruins in 18 games, a goal, four assists for five points, averaging 19.05 a game. And with the Bruins, he was playing primarily with uh, Adam McQuaid. Uh, that was his most popular uh, partner at 67 minutes. And then uh, he was also playing with Brandon Carlo um, with for 60 minutes. So it was a situation of the Bruins, I guess you could say, just using him as a guy to eat minutes. Um, I didn't look too much into his, his underlying numbers. Um, ho- a hockey reference has his, you know, his Corsi four at um, 54%. And, you know, part of that is obviously the Bruins are just one of, one of the best possession teams in the league. Um, Always nice. Yeah. But if, um, if anything, I would say just a scenario where, like you said, them getting the pick is great, and then having Rob O'Gara, who was just, you know, us, uh, is just terrible. Um, it helped them improve their their draft position yeah. ever so slightly. Nothing against O'Gara, but certainly not a defenseman that you would expect to be on the NHL level in any other circumstance than what he was with, with the Rangers. Um, but yeah, like, like I said about the grab trade, just there's no way to lose that trade. There's no way to lose it. Even if the Bruins go on to win the cup, the devils go on to win the cup, Grabner or Holden go on to score a million points. You don't lose the trade because you weren't keeping them anyway, because you weren't making the playoffs. Um, I mentioned Kovalchuk before. I, I think this is a good transition. The Rangers are rumored to have signed Kovalchuk. We talked about it a little bit last week. Um, some the Rangers probably leaked it to a few beat reporters who reported that the deal was not finalized, that it was jumping the gun. Ilya Kovalchuk made comments about how this is what the Russian media does in terms of uh, in terms of just 
what the deal is and that this it was even reported before it's been done um the reason why the two sides would sort of back away from this is because Kovalchuk can't legally negotiate until he's turned 35 which he did last week but the details of this created just this sort of well what's going on here is this collusion atmosphere because it would have been an illegal conversation for the two to have and Tom, why don't you give us your thoughts on this since you've you've raised your hand like a gentleman. So this is a situation where, like you said, there was the whole element of we can't officially say anything until he's um, of age 35 and then he's no longer under the, the devil's um, – on their exclusive list, like they could if they wanted to, and I, I have no idea why they would do it, they could trade his negotiating rights so that someone could sign him prior to July 1st, um, but that's not going to happen. The interesting part was, I believe it was on Monday, it was before one of the the playoff games, they had Elliot Friedman on NHL Network, and he had reported saying that Unless something happens, Ilya Kovalchuk's top choice would be to join the Rangers. Uh, he clarified that as saying at no point in time, no one's saying anything, no one's confirming anything about about term, about cost, but uh, he's he's really wanted to be a Ranger. The Rangers have shown some interest in the past, and it's just sort of this um, – assumption that it's it's something that's predestined to happen and if you sort of follow the the train of 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 events um i had posted the story on on banter the the day that everything came out and if you sort of look at how things have transpired they were in this situation last year and the devil's try to allegedly make a deal with the Rangers. The cost was too much. So Kovalchuk just said, I'll go back to the KHL. And then a year from now, I'm free to do whatever it is I want. And it's a move that it's gonna, I think it makes sense. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think when you have, the context of Gorton's comments when I think it was Larry Brooks who asked uh, Jeff Gorton uh, on the day they fired AV, what did he think? What did he think about um, Henrik Lundqvist's comments? What did he think in terms of wanting to win and, and things of that nature? And, and, and Gorton is sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with him. If you're in this league, you got to compete to win. And that's what we're we're going to look to do. And having um, Kovalchuk on the team sort of helps with that goal. And like we've said, in a best-case scenario, um, Kovalchuk helps the team play well. He reinvigorates the offense. And the team gets back to the playoffs, which even though they are, quote unquote, rebuilding, they're seemingly not doing that. And then in a worst case scenario, Kovalchuk produces somewhat and it's sort of spun off as it's not quite a fit for the style of play. They can blame it on who he's playing with. There's all all these things that they can 
deflect and all that, you know, BS. And then they find a team that is desperate for scoring and they go, hey, we will trade you him for something. And then at the end of the day, the Rangers are out of the um, the financial obligation and they've picked up an asset in the process. So I mean, even from a financial obligation standpoint, two years, I don't care. Kovacic could be the worst signing in the world. Two years, it doesn't matter. Um, I do find it funny that that he kind of walked back on the comments. I mean, listen, Kovalchuk was not part of the original leak in terms of signing anyway. Not that he would be, but um, I, I do think it's all but a done deal. Those reports wouldn't come out for nothing. Um, there's too much smoke not to be fire in that regard. And I, I just I, I see Kovalchuk coming ice? in. Well, dry ice doesn't really create smoke so much as like a mist, right? Steamy mist, but in the right light, it it could be mistaken for smoke. The saying is not. I just want to saying is absolutely not. The the saying is not if there's mist, there's fire. The saying is if there's smoke, there's fire. The saying came before we we got around to making dry ice. Did do we? uh, I guess. I don't think anybody would utilize dry ice in that that form, Michael. Spiders. No, we no, we talked enough about spiders. The first six minutes of the show is about spiders. You know how much I hate spiders. I'm looking for them now, just to make sure but, they're not around. Did you hear that the White Walkers and Game of Thrones are going to ride on giant spiders. See, but that's Game of Thrones, which I'm not reading. By the way, that's, I read up to what he's at now. I'm just. I'm done with him. He'll he's never finish that it. shit. No, he's never going to finish it. And it's, I, I'm not wasting my time with it anymore. And it's been so long now. You see, you started something here. It's been so long since the last book that I would have to literally reread all of those monstrosities just to prepare myself for the next book. And then what? Wait another eight years for the final book to come out? Get the hell out of here. I'm not dealing with this bullshit. I'm not doing any of that. Um, How would yeah, it right. be if you heard Kovalchuk four years, though? How mad would I be? Worried, I said. Worried. Um, I would be really worried if it was four years. So Kovalchuk is 35, don't forget, which means it's a 35-plus contract. Um, I doubt anyone's giving him four years anyway. It's – the if someone the wants to, fine, but it won't be the Rangers. But you know what? If someone wants to, joke's on them. Um, Son of a bitch. I, the, the rumor was two to three years. I, I, three years would even worry me a little bit, but I, I do think there's this – you need players that you can learn from, and I would be absolutely floored if Ilya Kovalchuk was not an impact player for the New York Rangers next year. And I do think there's a bigger implication where it's not just getting Kovalchuk next year, but it's that familiar bridge with him and Buchnevich to Rykov, to Shostyorkin. Um, to SKA in general. I mean, who knows whether or not the Rangers have other people that they have their eye on. And you have that bridge, that level of familiarity, it makes it easier to bring those guys over. And if I have to give Kovalchuk three years to make sure that Rykov comes over and to make sure that Shestyorkin specifically comes over, then so be it. I mean, that's an absolutely willing price to pay. I think the report was that Kovalchuk's looking for three uh, the Rangers would prefer one, so it wouldn't be all that, um, you know, out of the question for them just to meet in the middle at two. And even then, two years is fine from from Kovalchuk's perspective. It actually behooves him to take a a shorter deal rather than a longer one because odds are, if he's productive, he will look to cash in 
once more. And now odds are if he were to sign another long-term deal, like so let's say it's three years, let's say it's four, while the cap hit's not going to be there, he still has the potential to say sign a four-by-four deal that gives him you know $16 million guaranteed. Not that you know he's crying poor or anything, but you know, money is money. Michael? Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of rumors, we could talk about the, the Michael Lindquist rumor. So the Michael Lindquist thing, I, I feel like it's more than a rumor. Let's, it's, let's I see what I did? I did a transition. I, I did. did. Your, your transition was much better than what I was going to do, which was... Um, so Michael Lindquist, by the way, well, I'll say this after Michael Lindquist is a 23 year old forward who's playing in the SHL or played in the SHL. It's where he plied his trade, if you will. He's not 20 goals. He's 5'11". He's not tall. Undersized. Undersized. 20 goals, 34 points in 33 games. He is one of two players under 24 to have a point per game, or excuse me, under 23 to have a point per game in the SHL this year. The other was Elias Peterson, who was the superstar draft pick of the Vancouver Canucks last year, pick taken right before Elias Anderson, who I want to say something about later, actually, remind me. Um so Linquist is – I talked to Alex Nunn. He, his statistics are a little interesting. Um, fancy stat-wise, the team is much worse with him off the ice than they are with him on the ice. I think it's a disparity of like 54% of shots for to like 47 without him. But he doesn't have a ton of shots. He's shooting an unbelievable like 22%. Um, he's shooting two shots a game I think on average. But he is the epitome of a poacher. His shots almost all come from high danger areas. He he knows how to get to the soft areas of the ice. He had this enormous jump. He, he was a 0.76 points per game last year in the Swedish, not junior league, but their tier two league. So there's promotions and demotions in the SHL and he's playing for AIK, which got demoted. So it's not – it's not like the AHL of the SHL, but I guess it's a lesser league. It's like so a, sh- you sort like a of make shitty NHL comparison. conference or division, rather. Yeah, and he he was not even a point-per-game player there. He broke his collarbone this year, which is part of the reason why he didn't play as many games. But um, three points, two goals, and two playoff games. Um, he had a really, really good year, a really good jump. Um, I think it's – maybe dangerous to assume that he's going to be an NHL player next year, even though he has this professional experience. I think he's definitely going to need some time to season in the AHL and get used to the North American game. But Alex Nunn sort of compared him to Robin Kovacs, and that would be sort of nice. Um, I mean, I also think it's going to be unbelievable to have Buch- Lundqvist make a save to Buchnevich, to Lindquist. Um, Sam is going to go crazy. Michael, you have your hand raised. You may speak. I I feel like, you know, kind of counting on him to be an NHL player, I agree with you. It's a bit of a stretch, but I also think it's very important uh, to point out, and I have something coming up on banter in the next few days about this. Um, there are Ooh. there are a lot of opportunities for for, you know, for guys to step into roles in Hartford. And, you know, we, we just saw, you know, Andre Bear-Glazov leave the team, which opened up a contract. And I feel like, particularly at the wing, 
is an area where the Rangers need to make a lot of noise in the draft and, excuse me, potentially in free agency and also with with opportunities like this, you know, with kind of, you know, found talent, guys like college free agents, guys like Lindquist. And to me, it's it, it feels like it's a priority for this team finding, you know, wingers who can make a difference, guys who can be you know, an effective player on the third line and the fourth line, because we, we kind of have a general idea of who is going to be a part of that top six in terms of young guys. And then, you know, we've talked already about Kovalchuk and, you know, there's even some, some speculation. I feel like it's mostly by me that Ryan Spooner could be there as a winger moving forward. But Beyond that, I mean, who's in the who's in the system that's exciting at wing? It's a you know Ryan Gropp is not he doesn't feel like a guy. Not yeah, he's player. he's just not even he can't can't player. really create his own offense. And after Gropp, it's like all right, well, who do we have there? Like Lettieri, you know, it it gets it gets pretty thin in a hurry. Well, the Rangers, remember, they're flush with cap space now. They're, they're, I didn't mean to say that. They're flush with draft picks now for this year. They're, they're, they've added two, I guess, B-level prospects in Brett Howden and, and Lieber Hayek. Um, Ryan Lindgren is a bit of a mystery, um, you know, just in terms of like his overall uh, – in terms of his overall – Expectations, I guess. I think we're we're gonna get at the best a, a top four defenseman there who is really good in his own zone, but uh, really doesn't add anything else to the game, which is totally fine. Um, but between Lindgren, you know Hayek, and uh, Igor Rykov as well, you're not talking about any A level guys. I think the best prospect in the Ranger system right now is Hedl. Um, you could consider him an A level prospect. I would think. Again, we're not talking about like on the level of Crosby or uh, somebody like that, but. I think we've all agreed if everything breaks the right way, he could be a Claude Giroux, which would be outstanding. But um, the Rangers still haven't fixed the prospect and the depth issue that they have in their farm system yet. They just have the pieces in place to kind of do it. So taking risks like this are really important because you don't know who is and isn't going to pan out. And if you get a 23-year-old who's putting up a point per game in the SHL and he makes that jump to the NHL and you have even a 20-goal scorer, it's an absolute home run. Um, not everyone is going to be Kevin Hayes, a known commodity that that you have to win, but you know is going to be what he's been for the New York Rangers. Um, sometimes they're Jimmy Vesey's. Sometimes they're Michael Lindquist. Sometimes they're people who you have absolutely no clue what they're going to turn into. But I do think that getting a guy like this does make a difference in the long run because these guys are lottery tickets. You can never have enough of them, ever. You need as many as you can because the more you scratch them, eventually you'll win one. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good take on Michael Lindquist. Um, we're gonna do something different, but I, I want to make a comment before we do that about something that's been going on in the Rangers blogosphere, and not blogosphere alone, but the Rangers social media sphere that I want to discuss. Um, last week, Anna made a comment that he got the sense that the Rangers were making a realization as an organization that Leah Sanderson wasn't somebody that they were going to build around. Um, in the past, he and myself and others have all made comments about how Leah Sanderson is probably not more than a 60-point player. And for whatever reason, these comments are being taken as like 
that we're capping off that this player can never be better than that and that we're we're shooting down the trajectory of an 18-year-old. I, I need to explain to the world that that is not what's happening, that this argument has been twisted out of proportion. The fact that I'm even talking about this on the podcast is sort of alarming. But when we look at prospects, you evaluate a prospect by claiming what you think the prospect can be. You want to do comparisons? That's fine. You want to say, oh, Elias Anderson is like Brandon Dubinsky? That's fine. I don't mind that. That's the same thing as saying he's a 50 to 60 point player though. And that's not to say that Anderson can't be more than that. That's not to say that Elias Anderson at 18 can't get better. It's just the way that you evaluate a prospect. I ask Adam to do these prospects results for us. He does the rankings for us. We all make our own opinions about po- about prospects based on their ceiling. That's the way that you evaluate them. Yes, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. No, you have no idea what someone may become. We're all in the same boat on that one. But this, oh, I've blown, like he's 18, he's done, he's not going to make it in the NHL. That's not what this is about. Because if you look at the world as in everybody's 18, you don't know what they are, you would be thrilled if the Rangers traded Philip Heedle for instead of Ryan Gropp for a fourth line center because they're both young and not in the NHL and you don't know what they are. So again, it's not to put a guy down. I mean, I had somebody say, I hope Lyas Anderson is reading this when I was explaining my point. Like Anderson's going to go through and read in Twitter and see that People are telling him that he's a bad hockey player. That's not what this is. But in order to evaluate prospects, the same way that you evaluate players, you put a projection on them. But that's all it is. It's a projection. That's it. You're not, I'm not saying, oh, Leah Anderson can never be more than this. I'm saying I would be surprised if Anderson wasn't, if Anderson was more than a 60-point player, which is not a bad thing, mind you. But, you know. From Adam specifically, who who got a lot of hate on this matter, like he's one of the people who was on the front lines defending Anderson from the he's a bust nonsense that was going on in the middle of the year. So I get it. Some people are just looking for problems in general. But this is the way that prospects are evaluated. This is the way that you figure out who is and isn't and what's valuable and what's not. NHL teams do this too. NHL teams are doing this right now for the upcoming draft. So I don't understand why this is an issue. I don't understand why it got blown out of proportion, but I get it. And we've been against the Anderson is a bust thing forever. I mean, we've been, especially on the website, myself included, I have defended Anderson from some unbelievable nonsense because he's not middle sap and, you know, whatever it may be. And you can make the argument that you're very excited about Anderson like I am. I don't think Anderson is more than a 60-point player like I am. And that there were better players on the board when the Rangers made their selection of Anderson. You can believe all of those things at the same time. But this idea that you can't make an evaluation of a prospect because they haven't played in the NHL yet is insanity. That's, I guess, my point on the matter. Mike, I took away your opportunity to uh, to jump in with your new idea, but here we go. Why don't you just uh, charge ahead with it? Joe, how many legs does a spider have? Eight. Now, if you add four to that, what number do you get? Twelve. The Rangers have 12 restricted free agents uh, that they have to figure out what the hell they're going to do with. And I thought it would be fun, uh, fun, if we did. uh, You know what? I'm going to do something very different. We're going to do a goddamn draft where you and Tom alternate in terms of who's the most important. And then I'll yell at you and tell you which one of you is wrong. 
Right now, I'm going to flip a coin to see who picks first. Uh, heads is Joe, tails is Tom. Tom, you pick first. This is bullshit. You son this of is a bitch. bullshit. So, Tom, you have the floor. Which Rangers restricted free agent do you consider to be the top priority, the top cheese? Only this year, right? This summer we're talking? Right. Yeah, right now, this summer, of the 12 okay, so, who are so that pending removes, RFAs. That removes Anthony D'Angelo, Neil Pionk, and Buchnevich. It leaves Spooner, Hayes, Nemestikov, Jimmy Vc. Rob O'Gara, Brady, Brady Shea, and John Gilmore. John Gilmore. So that's what, that's what yeah. we're dealing with right now. So unless, Tom, you're, you're unless you want to go off the board and go with like Boonie Evis or Merrick Mazinich or uh, Which, theoretically Tom could if he would like to. But Tom, you have but the floor. It's Tom's who's first, floor. Who's your first overall pick? So I, I don't think this will come to a, a shocking surprise to, to anyone considering uh, on Wednesday I posted – over 3,000 3, words on this player. And it it's Kevin Hayes for the mere fact of uh, – and it's tough between him, him and Brady Shea. I, I think I wrote that it's, it's Hayes in a class by himself and then Shea just a little bit off to the side. Um, we all had thought, I think, going into this year – and I'm not going to talk too much about Shea because I'm pretty sure Joe will want to. Um, hey, you know what, Tom? You only get one pick. No, no. So my pick is Hayes. And the reason I'm saying Hayes is my pick is because he's arbitration eligible and he's one contract year away from unrestricted free agency. So the Rangers don't have any wiggle room. They can't bridge him uh, because they run, run the risk of him becoming a free agent that can just walk away for nothing. And from an organizational mm. depth perspective, it's pretty much Zibanejad and then Hayes from proven NHL center depth. Um, they obviously have prospects. They have Spooner and they have Nemestikov who can play center but are better on the wing. But from a we-need-to-field-a-competitive NHL roster, if Zabanajad were to suffer his sixth concussion next season... God damn it, Tom. What are you doing to people? Well, you're you, like you're, you're not, not the Oracle of Calamities, Tom. Yeah, that's, that's not your job. job. That's, no, no, that's no. job. You're 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 bringing evil on us, is what you're no, doing. You're in a bad neighborhood. Roll you just the woke up Satan. The doors. The devil just woke up, is what you did. Well, no, no, no. I'm not the bringing. Are, are out. Spring is here, and the bugs are out because of you. That's what well, you my, did. What my point of this is. And I know saying... that spiders are not bugs, everyone. They're arachnids. I know that. Very smart boy. Like scorpions are arachnids. Tom, did you know that? My point was saying <laughs> that after Zabanajad, there if you remove Hayes from the equation, there's a drop off, and therefore you do need someone that's proven at the level. So therefore I have Hayes number one. That's a good pick. I like that pick. Tom, for for a bonus point, name me one other type of arachnid. One other type of arachnid of arachnid a scorpion yeah that's what i just said but you know what we'll give it to you because it shows that you're you're either listening to me or not listening to me and both are uh, the test to take the test both are um, adequate to me joe it's your pick you know i if i had the first overall pick i, I think i would have taken Hayes too but i would have had to think about it because i, I really do think that moving forward brady shea is going to be such an important part of this team 
There's no more McDonough. Stall is on his last legs. You have Kevin Shattenkirk for another three years. Shea is the future of this defense. And in what was a, a down year for him, I think he still put up 30 points. He's a guy who, if he is that 40-point defenseman that we've seen, that that fast skating, you know, really slick defenseman, he's absolutely critical. And the Rangers sort of have a depth problem up front. They have a depth problem at center, and that sort of put Hayes at the front of the list. But I really do think that Brady Shea is a, a critical aspect of this team. Um, the reality of the situation is Shea is the type of guy that would be prime for a quote-unquote bridge deal that was Glenn Sather's bread and butter. I'm not sure that that makes any sense because he's going to be infinitely more expensive in two years than he is right now, I would bet. But um, the Rangers could probably do a, a McDonough-type deal with him and make sure that they uh, they get him on the cheap right now. But not totally sure what the deal would be on that one. But yes, definitely Shea, I think, is the best one, too, in terms of the restricted free agents. Well, Joe, let Mike. me ask you this really quickly before, before you try to transition. One, can you name another arachnid? No, I didn't even know Scorpion. Well, Daddy Long Legs would have been another one. That's I, a spider. I, it's a, no, it's, it's not. A damn spider. It's not. It, it it's, is a, not. A, it's a goddamn spider. <laughs> I wrote a report about them when I was little, and it was terrifying, but I did it. Where is the dwarf story? I want the story about the dwarf. I'll never give it to you. I keep asking it you for it, and you Joe, never give it to me. On a scale of one to ten, you know what? Let's do one to eight for spider legs. On a scale of one to eight, how worried are you about Brady Shea's sophomore season? Is eight the most worried? Yeah, eight would be like you're very, very worried. Like uh, a two. Okay. Okay. I don't I'm not even it's not keeping me up at night. Is it slightly alarming? I guess, but the ring like everybody was bad on the Rangers. Especially on defense. So McDonough had the worst year of his career this year. I, I'm not looking all that closely at Brady Shea. That's fair. That's, That's fair. Tom, it's your pick, Tom. I don't even want to know what Joe is gonna ask me. It's your pick, Tom. Well, I was gonna. That's I was gonna go next with that. I was gonna make you pick something. No, I'm I'm in charge of everything now. Tom? So with the third pick, um, someone I also wrote about today, but I didn't publish it. I'm sort of getting stuff ready ahead of time before I go on vacation. Uh, Ryan Spooner. Vacation all Tom wanted. He thinks he's better than us. He's going on vacation, this guy. I hope you don't find any goddamn miraculous. Where was our invite? Where are you going? Where are you going, Tom? I'm actually going a bunch of places. Uh, I'm flying. Okay, here we go. Well, no, it's really it's California, and then uh, it Ooh. sort of, it just sort of works out. California, that, the windy city—that's what they call it. It's actually, Chicago. I'm waiting. Once the, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting anxiously for the first round to end, so they announce the dates for uh, round two. Because me and my buddy were actually going to drive out to Vegas, and we're going to try to catch uh, game oh, one or game two. So oh, that look at you, look at that, Tom doing some things. Tom's just a good time. Yeah, he's just he's he's out there. He's going to Vegas. That would be drink some that would be just, just wonderful. So I, I have a question before Tom answers who he's picking. What, are we just we're going to go down? This is how we're ranking them in this draft setting. Yeah, and we're gonna each of you is going to make four picks. Is what I decided in my head. Okay, go ahead, Tom. So I pick Ryan Spooner, and for the mere Spoon! fact. He is a player that also, like Hayes, is one contract year away from unrestricted free agency. Uh, it was a short sample 
with the Rangers. It was, I think it was 16 points in 20 games. And people might be saying, well, it's recency bias, but it really isn't. If you take a close look of what Spooner has done throughout his career, he only really got his, his first real chance. I think it was, I think it was age 24. He had some, he had some like split seasons where he'd get like 20 games here. Um, but when he was in the lineup, he found ways to produce. So his his first full season, 80 games, is in uh, 2015-16. He's 24, and he put up 49 points. And then the following year, he played in 78 games, 39 points. And then obviously this year, he had the split season between the Bruins and the Rangers. He was actually hurt to start this season, so that sort of held him out, but he finished with 41 points in 59 games. So, and and the other important thing to note is that throughout his career, he's only averaged 14 minutes and 32 seconds a game. So the thing that I think a lot of people said is that Spooner, while he has potential and he's sort of produced in small spurts that he was very sheltered in Boston and he was was lucky at times to play with Krejci and he was lucky at times to play with Bergeron and he would just come to the Rangers and fall flat. But that didn't happen here. And I think that given the Rangers' need on wing, he's a perfect sort of candidate to have there as a, as a transition while they try to identify – He's a stopgap. Exactly. Whether because we don't know what they're going to do with, you know, as, as much as we've, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, we don't know what they're going to do with Zuccarello. We don't know if it's a situation where they say we are going to predict more concussions for Zuccarello while you're at it, Tom. No, I'm just looking at it as the fact that you look at his age and it's a situation of they might. <laughs> They might say <laughs> that it was late. I was trying to get to it. I couldn't get to we it. We want to go you younger and we'd rather take the asset of potentially a first round pick and we'll have a stopgap in there. And then we reassess our options after a season where we have a combination of kids and for lack of a better term, mercenaries that they pick up in free agency. Um, I, I like that pick. I, I feel like it's interesting. Well, as this was, I think this, the pick you just made, Tom, I think is the, is really the, the, the central debate about these restricted free agents, because I feel like the consensus would be the Hayes and Shea. And then you have to decide, all right, well then who's like, you have to choose between essentially feels like Vlad and Spooner. Right. Um, but I don't know, Joe, who, who would your, it's your pick at the podium. You have to take your, your, your next young man. This is how I, I envision the first three picks to go as well in that order. Um, and I guess there could, there probably would be some deviation among the fan base, but Nemestikov has to be your next most important restricted free agent. Um, I actually think that the way the season ended, Nemestikov could be more important than Spooner in that if you can get Nemestikov for, say, $3.5 million for four or five years, um, I think Nemestikov is the guy you keep over Spooner, who I think is going to be more expensive and probably has a ton more value at the trade deadline. But mm. I don't think there's all that much to say there, even if you're not getting – we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you're getting 40 points out of Nemestikov 
plus all the other things that he does, he's a really good player. And if you're getting it at $3.5 million, that's, you know, that's, that's important. I envied Tom for the first overall pick, but without them, now the selection is VC, O'Gara. Yeah, it doesn't get easier. Or it does not get easy. Or Nieves. Or you yeah, take Nieves. Nieves or Tambellini, Brigus. Tom, it's your time at the podium. I picked John Gilmore. I think it's a pretty simple pick just for the fact of he was with Look the at team. Tom just goddamn for kicking the door down and just take John Gilmore. It was, I would have went with Gilmore too. So he's on my like – we're it. on the same page here. I mean 28 games, five points. His skating ability is just spectacular. And as he played more, he looked like he belonged. I, I know that – in some of the earlier games, Adam like made mention to some of the times he was getting caught. It was things that he had done in Hartford, but he became a little bit more polished. I mean, he was averaging 17 minutes, 11 seconds a game and his ability to skate and that first uh, breakout pass is just great. And I think he's a very good candidate for your third pairing and someone that could theoretically be on on the second power play unit. So that's why I'm taking John Gilmore. Uh, I mean, Gilmore would have never been higher than fifth in general. Joe, but I, it's, it's, if, if you you can't talk if you about this, it's your pick. I can't, you can't, talk about you this. can't have him. You I have, have to pick time at the podium, Michael. If I nobody's ever done it, but you get ten no, minutes. I'm, on the I'm going to go up there and gavel. sing a song for nine minutes and fifty seconds if they wanted to. I will hit you in the um, knee with the gavel. I'm, all I'm going to say about somewhere. Gilmore. Is if if you open this up to the next two years, and obviously Buchnevich being involved would make things a little bit different. But um, I, when Gilmore first sort of burst onto the scene, I would have told you that he was the most important restricted free agent that wasn't named Tony D'Angelo for who was important for different reasons. But um, I think Neil Pionk has definitely pushed him down the ladder, and now I'm not even sure if Gilmore is going to be on the team next year. And I would have thought that he would have been a lock to at least being a long term lock. So yeah, that's where I am um, too. But see, uh, it's not now, your pick now. You got to make now it. we get to a dangerous game because he, when you say importance of RFA, do you mean important like how important the player is to the team, or how important you the define, decision is of you whether or not importance? And all right, if I'm defining importance with you, with you know, and and you explain why after. If I'm defending importance, VC Mm -hmm. is the next most important. But if we're actually doing it that way, I would consider VC one of the most important restricted free agents because his contract is so easy to screw up. It is so easy to screw up. VC, if VC gets. Anything over Fost's 1.8 million, it's a disaster. And I'm not trying to come down on the guy, but VC is in prime, like could get two and a half to $3 million a year territory. He's somebody who's done just enough. You know what I mean? Somebody who's sort of breaking out, oh, sophomore slump, and he still put up pretty good numbers. And it makes me really nervous because he's a depth player. You can find them almost anywhere. 16 goals last year, 17 goals this year, 28 points. I mean, we're not talking about a, a... we're talking about a good depth player. I'm very happy the Rangers have Jimmy VC. I love third line Jimmy VC. I hate top six Jimmy VC. I'm afraid that's all the time you have, Joe. You you spent too much time talking about John Gilmore. I'm, I'm that's fine. I'm, Tom, I'm happy with I'm happy with what I went with. It's it's your last pick, Tom. 
with my last pick, and I actually would have him ahead of VC. Um, Whoa! Is, Fuck you, we're Joe. evaluating this differently. Is Booneyavis for this for the, for the simple fact that I feel that he was not given a fair shake on the roster. He is a player that. While he was a second-round draft pick, we've sort of come to the realization of what type of player he's going to be for this team. And I think that the Rangers could really use someone that is that lock of a fourth-line center, which was one of the strengths the year that they went to the Stanley Cup final. And this year, it was just sort of, okay, who's ever not you know, good enough this day of the week to play in the top six. At times it was Peter Holland. It was David DeHarnay, depending on what, what the mood was. It was Miller when he was not on the wing. And I just think that Neves can be that lock at a very sort of low contract. He's a guy that can kill penalties. He's a great skater. And it's a, a situation where I just think in the grand scheme of things from a organizational uh, perspective, he's, he, he fits a, a need of the team while the ceiling is, is what it is. Whereas VC is sort of, he's just sort of lost in the shuffle where if you, if you look at it from a career perspective, his points per game average is just 0.1 higher than that of Jesper Faust and, I don't really see the need for two Jesper Fosses on the team. I like that pick, Tom. I, I think you and I are on the same page about Boo. I, I wrote that piece about, you know, why not Boo getting a chance. And uh, you know, when I was looking at, looking at what the Wolfpack did post-trade deadline, he was one of the guys who stood out to me. And, it, you know, he it, in Hartford, he had to wear every hat. You know, he had to do a little bit of everything for that team. But I've I've already taken up most of Joe's time. Uh, for Joe's last pick, Joe? I, I'm forfeiting my pick. I don't even at this point. We, we've nobody else is of any importance whatsoever to the I NHL. You don't think? Well, maybe not to the I, NHL. But yeah, well, yeah. Here's the reality. Um, Manzik, Manzik, 26 years old. Yeah, not not going to be in the NHL. Steve Fogarty, he's not going to be in the NHL because of Nieves, and Nieves might not even be an NHL player. Tambellini, I don't see as an NHL player. Chris Briggis, I don't see as an I'll, NHL I'll player. Pick, I'll so. pick for you. I'm going to yep, pick for you a, because I have, you have a I have bad a attitude. I have a pick for you. That's fine. This is I've stolen the gavel. I'm forcing you to pick. You're the only person who's picking. Okay. What between D'Angelo and Pionk, who's more important for their RFA, which would be next season? It depends on what happens this year, but if I have to pick right if now. If you had to base it off of right – so let's change that then because that's a good point. If you're picking one of them to have a, a foot in the door for next year's roster, oh. is it D'Angelo or is it Pionk? Pionk, and it's not even close. Tom, listen this is to me, for me. Tom. You're not, you're not freaking This is about Mike. me now, Tom. Coming in here with your damn words. Why don't you go fly yourself to Polite Island where you learn some manners? He can't land there because he wouldn't ask for landing permission. <laughs> I also think I disagree with you, but go ahead, Mike. Uh, I, I got all wrapped up. If Who has the best chance of making the team as of like... Well, you know, not, not even that, but who, who's got their foot in the door in mm. terms of 
because there's two factors at play. If if you're talking about this year, D'Angelo's injury hurts him a lot, and Pionk was an absolute monster, which is why I think Tom jumped in the way that he did. But if you look at the big picture, D'Angelo's ceiling Tom. is much higher, and he has importance in terms of the Rangers gave up an unbelievable amount to get him. So what do you value more? I think the more more important player is D'Angelo because of his ceiling. I feel like Pionk, if if all the you know if all the chips fall and you know if everything goes very well, Neil Pionk will be a second pair uh, right D. But I also worry, you know, I was one of the people who was really kind of singing his praises for his play, but he was on a shutdown pair with Mark Stahl that utterly was dominated in possession, and I don't feel like. We really have a great idea of what Pionk can be because of that. You know, he looked exceptional in a really, really rough role. And I I want very badly to get an idea of what he looks like with, you know, for lack of a better term, a more competent uh, defensive partner. But I also have kind of a sneaking suspicion because Mark Stahl's not going anywhere. So I kind of expect Pionk to remain stapled at the hip to Stahl. And if that's the case... I don't I'm not sure if he's ever going to be anything other than a guy who, you know, he, he looked so good just on paper because he had all those secondary assists and everything. But I really appreciate his game and what he can do. And, you know, both of these guys, D'Angelo and Pionk, are both right hand D. Uh, just that I, I lean towards D'Angelo because he he has the ability to be that guy you play on your second pair on the right side and you put him out there for the power play and you you know when you ha- when you're a team when you have a guy like Shattenkirk that's not as much a priority as it would normally be but the the fact of the matter is the Rangers are so shallow on the right side that they need D'Angelo to work out and if not if that doesn't happen well then they better find some more prospects that play the right side in this draft uh and I guess that's my take it's a good I, I question though there, I have them occasionally. There will be options. I mean, let's not devalue what Pionk did. He had 14 points in 28 NHL games, but I also want to say that Pionk had 17 points in 48 AHL games this year. I'm not saying that 28 games is too small to really see that he played well, but D'Angelo's ceiling is significantly higher. D'Angelo, two years ago, was the best puck-moving defenseman prospect on the planet. And there were a ton of off-ice red flags that came with it. But on ice, when he figured it out, he was one of the best players out there. And Sheldon Keefe was one of the people, and Adam brought this up, who got the most out of D'Angelo when D'Angelo was in the juniors. And that may be a factor moving forward when the Rangers make these this hire. But um, I would assume – D'Angelo has the leg in the door because his ceiling is higher and because with a fresh start, I mean, D'Angelo never got a real look in New York. And when we were getting the look for D'Angelo, he got hurt. And, you know, when Vigneault is admitting that something hurt a player's development, you could take that to the bank because he really he never made those types of uh, he never made those types of decisions on his own. He didn't go to bat for a lot of kids. No, very, very rarely did Vigneault ever go to bat for a young player. And he did for D'Angelo, which was shocking. Um, it, Pionk was on a 40 point pace this year. Um, 
D'Angelo, if he does everything by all indications, this is a guy who put up unbelievable numbers in the AHL. I mean, not this year with the Rangers, and there's some factors that go into that. And listen, this is definitely a guy who had his own issues, and we're not I'm not trying to downplay them at all. But this is somebody who has an unreal amount of talent. And two years ago with the uh, Arizona Coyotes um, – or I'm sorry, he was with Tampa at the time, the Syracuse Crunch, he had 43 points in 69 AHL games. I mean, that's nothing to scoff at for a defenseman. 43 points, sorry. I think I said 49. 43 points in 69 games. I mean, he was a point-per-game defenseman in the OHL, uh, more than a point-per-game defenseman. His last year in the OHL, he had 51 points in 26 games. I mean, it's insanity. This is a really good hockey player if you can uncover the the gem that lies within the dirt and other things that cover hockey players. So, yeah, definitely, definitely something there. Tom, your thoughts on this? I mean, the only thing I'll say about D'Angelo, and it's not to downplay his offensive upside or say that we've already seen enough, but when I look at D'Angelo, he reminds me of someone that the Rangers had once before, and I'm not going to say the name right away. I want to see if either of you can get it, but... You knew that there was this offensive talent there. Michael Delzato. Palmara. Yeah. yeah, it's Delzato. And Jason Strudwick. And the difference with Delzato is obviously his first year in the league, 37 points. He struggled in his sophomore year and he went back to the AHL. And then he came back and he was hungry and 41 points in 71 games. And then 10 points in 20 playoff games. And from there, it just seemed to go downhill for, for whatever reason. I think with D'Angelo, and it, it, it's a tough sell because, like Mike said, you got to figure they're going to keep, if they keep Stahl, they're going to keep Stahl and Pionk together again. Is it going to be a situation where you can find someone that's going to play alongside him? And maybe a new coach sort of plays a role in that, but... The book on him has been at times that he would have almost been better off if he was a forward because offensively he's great, skating he's great, playmaking he's great, defense is an afterthought. And I I just I don't know if he's able to put it gonna make a, a grand enough change at the NHL level to be able to to survive in, in the role that the that the Rangers want to have him and obviously I'm not saying that he's done at 23 make make no mistake there are tons of examples of of players putting it together but uh some of his numbers in in Hartford were 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 bad in terms of a uh you know goals I think it's goals for percentage I'll I'll find it after the podcast and I'll tweet it out um you know someone sort of charted five on five all of the goals for and against. Um, and that's obviously just a small sample. But um, I would say that obviously there's some recency bias, but at least from Pionk's perspective, from a technical element of playing defense, he was more equipped, if that makes any sense. And obviously, maybe that could change. He's now played you know X amount of games and 
teams have a better of idea of who Neil Pionk is than versus, you know, him coming up uh, at the end of the season. See, I thought that was a it was a good answer, Tom. Uh, he went, he, you know what, Mike? We let him land at Polite Island, and he uh, he figured it out. So that's good. You went to Polite Island. Um, this show's been kind of disjointed, but this is what happens when you let the beast out of the cage. Uh, we were a little silly, but we do just want to mention something that's very sad, which is the passing of John Amarante, um, who passed away, I believe, comfortably in his own home, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yesterday was it Monday or my days are all disjointed this week. Wednesday he passed away. I think it was Tuesday. It was yeah. yesterday. Tuesday. We're recording on Wednesday, so yeah. Oh, that's right. Today's Wednesday. I keep thinking today's Thursday. I don't know why. Um, John Amarante was obviously a big part of the Rangers family. It's kind of a tough blow to lose Stephen McDonald and John Amarante um, so close to one another. But you, you really are talking about somebody who I grew up listening to. Um, I cannot remember Rangers games without him being at least a part of the fabric, which I think says something. I'm 29 years old. Um, I'm almost positive I was at the game that was would end up being his last anthem call um, in New York. And, you know, we, we get involved in these silly traditions and these things that you, you kind of take for granted and how the Stephen McDonald Award might not mean anything to somebody who's not from New York. But I think Mike put it, this way after Steven passed away, you know, if you're a Rangers fan, it means everything. And you might not think that John Amarante is anything other than an anthem singer, but he really was somebody who who meshed with the fabric of the fan base, who was a very important part of the fan base, who was as much a member of the New York Rangers as Stephen McDonald was or or Sam Rosen, even for that matter, or Henrik Lundqvist or Mike Richter. It's, it's one of those. He's a part um, of Rangers hockey at Madison Square he, Garden. Yeah, he, he absolutely was. It's like Sam is- Rosen's voice and, you know, JD's Oh Baby. Like John, John Amarante doing the anthem is something that, you know, with you know, waiting for Rangers fans to cheer, you know, and, and interrupt the song. And, you know, it's like you said, Joe, it's a part of all of our childhoods and, you know, in, into our adulthoods, it's, it's, you know, I'm glad that he lived, you know, a long, you know, fruitful life and, you know, he passed away from, from what we understand peacefully and it's sad to see him go, but, uh, you know, rest. Yeah. Really absolute really icon part of the Rangers and, um, yeah, it just, it's, it's sad. Wish his family all the best. Um, I'm sure the Rangers will have some type of a tribute for him once the season begins next year. Well-deserved. I would not be opposed to the Rangers utilizing his uh, recorded voice for the anthem for some of the bigger games moving forward, a la what the Flyers uh, do themselves. But, yeah, very just very sad news. And uh, I know this podcast is definitely silly at times, but um, we can't not talk about something like that because it really does make such a difference. Um he will be missed. There's really, there's no other way to put it. Um, he was, I, like I said, I cannot remember Rangers hockey without him. So it's definitely a darker place without him. And, you know, we wish He's his family part of Rangers the best. Hockey, you know, part of Rangers hockey. And we'll continue is, to be part of Rangers yeah, hockey. He always will be. That's, that's the best part about this organization. They, they do this stuff right. There is no... It's not like he's going to be forgotten the same way that Stephen McDonald will never be forgotten. I, I don't know if there's a, a John Amarante award out there for best voice. I'm sure Zuccarello would be one of the guys who would be at the forefront of an award like that. But um, he's somebody that will remain in the fabric of the organization forever. 
And I think that's one of the best parts about being a Rangers fan. You don't lose that stuff. It stays with the history of the team. Um, as for this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us five comments. Say five stars. Say something nice. You can leave five comments if you want to. Um, by all indications, you all love the change to the recording. The audio is so much better. Um, I apologize for the Beth issue last week, but we've got that sorted out now. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it sounds way better. We're getting um, Beth we're we are getting out. Beth the microphone with Patreon money, by the way. So think about that, you crazy peeps. Uh, Patreon.com slash blue shirt banter. You can go. Um, because we're going to a recorded version, I, I kind of adjusted the um, the rewards again. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about something, you can reach out to us through Patreon. And uh, I guess you could reach out to us on Twitter too, but Patreon will definitely see it and we'll get to your questions. We'll, if somebody, if there's like a pressing matter that 50 people ask us about, that's different, but uh, you will get first priority to, you'll get first priority as a patron. So you can utilize that for sure. Um, Anthony Viola, John J. Porter, John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Alex Gardner, Eric Cohn, Alexander Ricard, Daniel DeGen, Matt Bader, Guy from Montana, 50, um, Stink Fleeman, Dan's Lynch, Mike Offit, Trevor Kempner, Gabriel Vargas, Dan Carosi, David L. Singer, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Scott Potash, Darwin Bushman, James Dangles, Danny Santiago, Grumpy Smokey, Igor Zatlovsky, Thomas Osa, Chris B., and Michael Silvers have all donated. You can hear your name if you donate too, so why don't you do that? Um, Mike and I also did a uh, personal podcast. We're hoping to have a few of those moving forward. I think we've all agreed that – a personal podcast, a private podcast for patrons only. Um, I think we agreed that we were going to do a live one, quote-unquote, during the NHL draft that we were going to put up the next day. That would be for patrons only. So if you're listening to this and you want to know how you can listen to those, just become a $5 subscriber or more and you get it as part of your package. So – something to keep in mind um and yeah mike tom thank you guys so much and uh this one was a home run god (sighs) damn it it was a really good show we talked about spiders too much because this is like much spider like the end of the incredible hulk when he's sort of yeah that's exactly that's honestly what that music makes me think of tom what a bad job um, all right, my wife has handed me the baby, so that's the end of that. Ladies and gentlemen, good Thanks night. For listening, we will see everybody. you next week. Thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a nice comment. Five stars. Do all that stuff. Mike is a whale.